You're listening to Sunnyside Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real-world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm excited today to talk to Matt Pichelski about leveraging sales success to enable life success. Matt, welcome to the show. Asher, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Thank you. Super. Well, Matt, before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are today, please? Sure. I am a career salesperson. I started off on the phones uh, about a week after high school, cold calling at some of the brokerage firms in New York that you know, I've made it into the movies. I've been in sales my entire life. For the last 10 years, I've been in technology sales and sales leadership. Prior to that, I had done about 14 years worth of financial sales. So brokerage, collections, small business equipment financing. And then uh, right in 2010, 2011, I made the switch to technology and and I couldn't have been happier with the choice that I made. It's been a wild ride. I've had the benefit of working at some fantastic companies from startups to Fortune 200. And it's been a great ride. But, you know, four four or five years ago, I actually started to build a uh, a real estate investment business on the side. And uh, that's flourished and done very, very nicely. So... I like to say that I have two jobs and and I'm a dad. So there's always a lot going on. Not a whole lot of downtime, but a lot of fun. Fantastic. Is the brokerage reference like, should we think like billions or should we think like Wolf of Wall Street? Like which movie should we, or serial should we think? Yeah, I'd, I'd say we're more in the boiler room, Wolf of Wall Street category. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I I never did anything bad. I promised my license. My, when I hung up my license in 1999, I was clean and never got in trouble for anything. Nice. It was just, it was great because I still look at some of the things I learned there and use them today. Like there was nothing, back then it was a lot different, right? You'd get up in front of the room at 8.30 in the morning and you'd pitch a hundred people face to face and you'd face either cheers or ridicule and, and you yes. just were forced to bring your A game every day. It was a lot of yeah. fun. I, I, I remember those days like they were yesterday. Yes, that, 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 is, that is true hunting or hustling, if you want to call it. You know, so. Yes, 250, 300 phone calls a day, just prospecting high net worth individuals. And it was a lot of fun. You know, what's interesting is that that 200 to 300 dials a day is still true today. You know, Like as sales leaders, when we build teams and when we go to like build inside sales teams, our directive to them is like you cannot have more than 200 people that you target and you got to get to 200 calls a day. And so somehow that number even has stayed true for since the dawn of like sales, sales calling, basically. You know, there's, I think there are still some organizations that put the pressure on quantity like that. We do things a little different at RealPage and, and we've been guiding our team to take a more strategic approach. I think we are, our call number today is 40 and uh, I'd rather, right. much rather go for quality over quantity. But I remember back in the day, like we had these old phones, these box phones yeah. And uh, in order to be able to make a lot of phone calls, we'd put rubber bands over the receiver. So you never actually had to hang up the phone. You'd push the handset <laughs> down onto the rubber band. It would get the dial tone. You'd let it back up and you'd be able to make another dial. Oh, man. It was just whatever you could do to increase the quantity of, of your, your first call close attempts that day. It was great. That's what we call zero to one automation or innovation. <laughs> That's right. That's right. There's, there's, I'm sure there's an app for that. <laughs> 
All right, let's dive into the topic. And for our audience, this is going to be a very different podcast. It's actually very, it's very interesting as I got to know Matt. We're going to actually talk about what happens when you have success in your sales career. Like how does one tee themselves up for life success from sales success? And I know we always talk about go-to-market and data science, and we've had some fantastic sales women who we've been fortunate enough to have on this show and to give us some guidance around like go-to-market and stuff. But I, when I met Matt and he was telling me about this stuff, I said, you know, we're going to do something completely different and like flip this podcast a little bit and talk about sales success. So I hope you like the content because, again, this is all about helping you professionally and personally gain success. So, Matt, let's talk about financial freedom as a concept from the lens of a sales career. Okay. So, you know, there's a lot. Well, let me take a step back. Sure. I think that. There's always been this position or some kind of social voice out there around not providing enough financial literacy in schools and to our young people. And, and I, frankly, I couldn't agree with it, that statement any, any more than I do, right? We're just not doing enough to help people understand how to be smarter with their money. And honestly, I don't think we're doing much better than that in corporate America, yep. right? I've been at numerous sales organizations from startups to Fortune 200 companies. And there is an enormous amount of money, time, and effort being spent on grooming the next generation of world-class salespeople, yep. right? There's training, there's coaching programs, there's classes, there's, you know, chairman's club or president's club for top performers. Go out and sell a lot of our product and, be, and make athlete money, right? Make seven figures selling software, technology, whatever. And then they, salespeople do. And then they get these big checks and the guidance stops there. Yep. Right. There's no, you know, at least from what I've seen, there's very little, if any guidance to salespeople that says, okay, we've groomed you to make a million dollars or, you know, several hundred thousand dollars a year. Yep. Right. Now go figure out what to do with it. Right. And if I'm, a, if I'm someone who's early in career and I'm, I'm scrolling through Instagram or I'm scrolling through Facebook. Do I need to go buy a Mercedes? Do I buy my first Rolex? Do I go out and you know buy a big property? What do I do? And I think that we need to do more to help people understand yep. how to amplify their earnings and begin planting the seeds for legacy very early in their career. Right. Yep. You know, I, I think that Aside from the obligatory annual 401k meeting where you go through your offering of funds, right? We can, as leaders, should be doing a lot more to put our, put our people on a path so that once they become successful at their job, they can become successful at life. Help, helping them with principles around paying themselves first, right? Helping them understand the different types of asset classes and investments that they can make. We've been very successful with real estate over the course of the last five years. Frankly, I, I, I kick myself for not reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was 25 and why I waited until I was 35. And I want that message to go out to everyone who's here. Like if you're, you know, someone, if you're a sales professional and you haven't taken the, the, the time to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad or Think and Grow Rich yep. or Money Master the Game or Unshakable or Principles, like go out and do that. Because what you'll learn is going to help you take that money that you worked so hard to make and earn and make it work for you. These are fantastic points. And so over the last, like, since we met, by the way, right? Because this topic was on my mind. 
I saw two LinkedIn polls. One of them said, if you had the choice, what would you take? A higher base salary or a higher commission rate? And most people said a higher base salary, right? So I'm going to make a point by giving the statistics, right? And then they also said, then there was another poll which said, okay, what do people do with their commission checks, right? And most of them said, we save it. So now if you think of what's happening, if you think like maybe there were 500 people, right? But the 500 people is enough of a sample set size to kind of tell us like how, what the general populace is thinking. On one side, people are like, I'm going to reduce my risk, right? And the other side is, I'm going to further reduce my risk by just putting that money in the bank and not doing anything with it, right? So basically what the, the data points at least tell me is that the sales reps out there, we spend so much time in building confidence are completely risk averse, right? And I think I feel like as sales leaders, this is the opposite of what we want to do for them, which is we spend so much time in building their confidence, we help them be fearless, we help them understand how to pitch better, we help them connect with all these like high net worth individuals, right? Because every one of us wants our, our reps to actually go and talk to C-level people, which by the way, are all at some level doing well. They're all gonna, I mean, even if a C-level gets fired, right? That's what happens. They go become a C-level at another company because they're like, oh, this company was a mismatch. The market was a mismatch. Like all this stuff is a mismatch for them, right? But then our sales reps are actually there. So I wanted to kind of share these two data points with you because I just thought it was very interesting that our goal as sales leaders is to help these people be on a path of financial freedom. I think what we're doing and again, you're beneficiary of your past experience, right? But most salespeople just come through up through the ranks. But I don't think we're actually defining what financial freedom actually means. And then having those conversations or making a, making a point, because to me, philosophically, if we have sales reps who are on a path to financial freedom and they've internalized being fearless and I help them or my, my company helped them to get to that point, just think about how fearless they're going to be in the marketplace to compete in uber competitive environments. And if they haven't already, that's coming because there's going to be like 70,000 competitors to every product pretty, pretty soon. Right. So thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And I actually think there's a whole nother conversation path that comes off of that tree, Asher, is. I sometimes wonder if we teach these concepts around financial freedom so early that folks who adapt it and take it on and really follow the, the, the breadcrumbs of success, maybe they are out of the workforce way too soon and they don't stay in corporate America. And, 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 that's, and that's a threat to the companies that want life or employees or something, right? But to your point, right, I define financial freedom as the ability to do what I want, when I want, where I want, with who I want, right? Anything else is numbers on spreadsheets and in bank accounts, yep. right? And, and I think that very early on, we, we need to help our, our salespeople understand that investments in themselves, right? Buying assets, income producing assets early on, is a complete game changer by the time they're in, in, in the middle stages of their career, right? What can you do? So I live in North Dallas and there are parts of Dallas, Texas, where you can go buy, you can go find houses for 80, 90, $100,000. They're not glamorous. They may not be in the best parts of town, but you need very little money to get into those properties. And if you set things up the right way and you do your homework and you have a coach, you have a mentor, 
not only are you getting cash flow from those properties, right? But if you're doing this in your mid twenties, by the time you're in your mid thirties or forty, yep. you have half your mortgage wiped out, and the appreciation value of that is significant on your balance sheet, right? And I think we've got to really help folks realize that money is one thing, income's one thing, but later on in life, when you want a bigger house or you want to make some investments, it's that personal financial statement yep. that makes a really big impact. And by the way, Gucci belts don't go on your personal financial statement, right? Yep. Well said. And so I guess for a simpleton like me, like financial freedom is just like pay off your student loans and pay off your mortgage and pay off your car payments. And then that's actually a really solid foundation. Whatever happens after that, at least you have the baseline or basics covered. And then you, you go from there. But the point that you're making is actually fantastic because you have to use the money that you have created by all this sales success and put it to use so that you can have multiple revenue streams that flow into your future because all of this stuff compounds. And this is going back to the books that you shared, right? Like the best secret in corporate Amer in America is just like compounding or maybe in the world, but America definitely, because if you set things up right, the, the, the compounding actually takes place. Now, you do have to be patient to get to the point where compounding starts to take place and then a wave of compounding takes place, right? And because that's like, I feel like SaaS is like the best analogy for that because the minute recurring revenue hits your business, you kind of feel this like, like jolt of energy in your business that just took you to a different level of clouds, right? I mean, no, no, no pun intended, but you know, but, but that's the analogy like that, that we can actually use in personal finances too is when if we can create compounding, because compounding can actually give you that benefit of, I would say, recurring income, and then you're off to the, off to the races from there. Agreed. And, 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 you know, I think it's funny that you mentioned compounding, right? Because a lot of folks out there, they put money in their 401k because they know it's going to compound over time. Yep. But they think about other asset classes a lot different. Right. And yes, they may be different. Crypto is a lot different than index funds. Right. But definitely today, let it go work itself out over time. So crypto, I mean, today, I think is like the, one of the best days to talk about crypto because the first ETF got announced. So there's a whole bunch of like money that flows in. But then to your point, you know, like people put money into 401ks. But for what, what I've seen is they actually don't look at rebalancing their 401ks every every year. Right. That's like a common thing that everybody should be doing. It's not just you put your money in a target fund, because if you're in your 20s or your 30s, you can take a lot of risk until even till you're 40, because I feel like seasoned executives all know this. But until you hit that 40 year mark and you start showing some, as they call it, the proverbial snow on your face or your hairline, you know, like people are just not going to trust you with like really meaty roles, right? So, so up until that point in time, you can actually make a bunch of mistakes and it's going to be okay because by the time you get to your to 40 and if you have this diverse experience, you're going to get a few at-bats to really hit a home run, right? And, and a solid support system to actually make that home run possible with like, I guess, I, mean, I don't follow baseball that much, but like, you're going to have like base mates, you know, basically that are all around you, right? That can actually help you, right? But what do you think? I mean, that's my observation. As far as the having the opportunity to make a bunch of mistakes oh, yeah. and then 
even at 40, you can actually, you have a good like 20 years to like make it, but you may not even need the, all those 20 years. Agreed. And, and I mean, I think mistakes are good, right? I think Rod, Rod Khalif, he calls them seminars, right? He's had some fantastic seminars in his life where he's made some very costly mistakes and or mistakes that cost him a lot of money or things that happen that cost him a lot of money. Yeah, like, go try new things, but be, you don't necessarily need to be an extremist, right? Take a balanced approach. What I took away there, Asher, was, you know, rebalancing your 401k is very much like taking some time every year and, re- and revisiting your priorities. How, how has your life changed, right? How, how have your responsibilities at, at work changed? Has your family situation changed, right? Are there certain things that you now want to save for that maybe weren't on your radar a year ago? And are there certain things that were on your radar a year ago that aren't today? So I think there's this kind of... Um, mental workflow that you need to take yourself through and and i come back to principles and i come back to routine and come back to personal goal setting really really important and i think like guys like ramit seti ramit seti talked a lot about this i I think he's probably one of the most modern and prolific voices right now in 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 building legacies and, and wealth and he's super practical great guy love his books you know, he talks a lot about that, just the importance of, of having goals and, and, and revisiting your priorities on a regular basis. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, I'll give you, I'll give you another, yeah. I'll give you another example, right? So Bigger Pockets, one of my favorite podcasts, real estate investment podcast, Brandon Turner, who's one of the hosts of the podcast, and he's also the owner of uh, Open Door Capital. They, they buy big RV parks all across the country. Like him and his wife go out to dinner New Year's Day every year. It's like their New Year's Day date, and they talk about their goals as a couple for that entire year. Simple to remember because we all celebrate, we all know what day New Year's Day is every year, yes. and they make a thing out of it. And and like I think that's a very romantic, but b like something really cool to do in your in your relationship in your marriage. Go out to a nice dinner and talk about what you're going to accomplish together that year. Why are more people doing that? Yes, I understand. I wish I was doing that. When I was married. Well, you live and you learn, as they say. <laughs> That's right. It's a fantastic point. So let's let's break some stuff down for people, right? Like let's give them some tips and some best practices, right? So I can start or you can start first and then I can add in. Yeah, so I think from a best practice perspective, right? I, I think just the number one thing is pay yourself first, right? Save first, spend later. I'm a big believer, and you mentioned compounding. I like I like to call it the snowball effect. Right. I like to keep that money rolling every month unless I need it for my kids or my house or something that I'm going to do. I don't need it. And if I don't need it, then you got to put it to work. My partner and I, we've been investing together for four and a half years now. We haven't taken a paycheck. All that money just rolls every month. Like because, again, we have we have W-2s. So why withdraw it? Let's go put it all to work. So I'd say always save first. Make your money work for you. How you do it is something we can talk about here in the next few minutes, but save first, spend later. There's no, you don't need Gucci belts, right? You don't need the Rollies and, and taking pictures of exotic cars. That stuff goes away. I always say invest in your personality first so you don't actually need those things and just be a fun person and you're just going to start attracting it. So this is like interesting, right? Because I look at myself, right? And, um, and early on, I don't think I had the right crew around me to even focus on things that we're discussing right now, right? I'm sure if you and I met like 10 years ago, I'm, we would have clicked and we would have worked together on stuff like this, right? But the culture and the environment doesn't necessarily provide 
this education and added to the schools. So you're kind of out on a limb. And if you get lucky, you'll be around these people. Now, everybody wants to make money, right? Everybody wakes up in the morning, wants to do great. But we're talking very specifically of people that are philosophically aligned on the values that you're discussing, right? So I feel like that frame, if if people are taking something away, material away from this podcast, is you have to have your values of who you're going to connect with and what are they going to be working towards pretty set, right? Once that is done, right? Like, like the, the base level foundation thing is done and you click with folks, right? What Matt is saying is absolutely correct. You should be carving out an income stream to invest or part of your income stream so you can invest, so you can create more income streams, right? So like that's like the money that you're going to put, put in. Now, I'll break some categories down and would love Matt's guidance too. But Today, you can invest in equities, you can invest in stocks, you can invest in like alternative funds, you can invest in private companies. For those of us who work in startups, you know, you can actually like if you are getting a stock option grant, you can actually invest some of your commissions back into the company. You just have to actually have to ask, right? So if you're like, like the best thing would be that you bet on yourself and double down on a company that you're liking. And you can like double your award. Not many people actually think about just taking their commissions and saying, hey, rather than actually I take it, why don't I just buy more stock in the company? And if you have a respectable position in the company, they will do it. You know, like every early stage CEO, I, I think if I was CEO, you were a CEO and your sales person came to you and said, hey, I want to reinvest my earnings back in the company. Absolutely, I would do it. I probably would give the person a little bit more because he came up with the idea, right? So you have stocks, you have funds, you have, I guess there's exchange traded funds, there's mutual funds. I mean, this is just like stuff that you can get from like CNBC, right? But outside of the stuff that you can not get from CNBC, there is, of course, crypto is the big thing. You can also get that somewhat from CNBC or Reddit, right? But things like investing in private companies, you can actually join angel funds. You can actually call on CEOs directly into startups if you like. And if you want to help them on their journey, you can do that. I guess I'll pause there. If you can give us some education on some of this real estate funds that you're talking about, this is new for me too. Yeah. So I think real estate, real estate for me has been the, probably the single most exciting investing journey that I've been part of, right? And I used to sell stocks. I used to think the world was revolved around Wall Street. And now, you know, I still play there a little bit, but, you know, real estate for me is where it's at. And, and there's, a, there's one word behind why. Control. Nobody... Hey, maybe not nobody, but I don't know if very many people can go knock on Jeff Bezos' door and say, hey, Jeff, what's your pricing strategy for Amazon Prime next year? And get an actual answer, right? But I know that in real estate, rents, multifamily, I can go control the rents. And I know I can predict my expenses. And if I can do those two things, I become, I, I, I generate very predictable net income and net operating income which banks really like to see. And the more that you do, the more money they're going to lend you, the more properties you can buy, so on and so forth, right? And then you kind of, then you, 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 have, you dance the line between single families, buying one property at a time. If people on this podcast, Asher, go buy one single family property a year for the next 20 years, it's a game changer, right? Yes. Multifamily is a lot different where you're raising, you're raising money via SEC filings called you know, PPMs or doing joint ventures and raising money from other qualified investors. There's, there's been fantastic market trend in multifamily over the last couple of years. And I see that continuing for the next couple of years. 
where um, there's just a shortage, shortage of good housing out there. And if there's a lot of demand for a product and there's very little supply and very little incoming net new supply, prices are just going to continue to go up. So that's, we love real estate. I actually work for a property management software company. So between what I do in my day job and what I do outside of my day job, I'm literally talking about real estate all the time. And, and it's just a great combination of something I think I'm good at and something I'm really passionate about, which, which is super motivating. Yeah. And I, and I feel like, like banks, and most people may not know this, but like if you want to buy a property every year, you actually need to have a very, I, I hate to use the word strategic, but maybe a value relationship with your bank because the bank also has to start trusting you with amounts of money like that, right? And when you are not earning like a million dollars and you want to buy a million dollar house, right? These are like different, or maybe like you're not earning half a million and you want to buy a half a million dollar house, right? Like the bank actually has to see some history of you being able to manage a single property until they will actually say, well, okay, well, the next time this guy wants to do three, he's already shown and demonstrated that he can put one on rent for a year and manage it well. And again, it's just not rocket science, just applied science, right? And you can also go get your real estate license. And I think there's a special side type of a real estate license where you don't have to be a part of a brokerage, but at least you understand how real estate works. And I think real estate licenses, you can get them from like for 200 bucks or 350 bucks. It's not that, that much. But if you're going to be in the game, learn the rules of the game and then compounding hits. Like you got to get to compounding, right? And so your advice of like, Hey, if you can get to a point where you can buy a house every year, I think if you can get to three houses, I think you'll be fantastic. You know, for most people that are listening to the show. Absolutely. And the hardest one, Asher, is always the first one, yes. right? But if you look at real estate investors as a, as a populace, there's very few real estate investors that only own one, right? Because you learn how to manage a property. You learn how to screen tenants. You want, and it's actually not that hard. Right. Yep. I'm not that smart. We figured it out. Right. You run a background check. You make sure they have good credit. You make yep. sure that they verify the income and you put them in. Most people really care about paying their rent. Right. Yep. Or especially for those successful salespeople that make a lot of money, they're super busy. Then there's property management companies that literally you hand the keys to after you acquire the property. They find you a tenant. They collect the fee every month. They direct deposit the proceeds into your account. And then they call you when they need you to approve an expense over a certain dollar amount. Yep. So you can literally buy an asset and then hire someone else to do all the day-to-day -day management of it, yep. which is fantastic. Yep. When you sell that asset, you still own the whole thing. Just from an overall market and life cycle perspective, I mean, there's just so many ways to make money in real estate. There's fixing and flipping, there's wholesaling, there's long-term investing, there's buying holes, right? One of the things that I've seen folks get tripped up on is people like to watch a lot of HGTV, right? And fixing and flipping has become a very en vogue thing to do, but it's also very time consuming. That's where people get in their own way. And sometimes they get financially hurt because it's, it's cool to do a flip, but they don't realize that you got to stop by the house three or four days a week to make sure your contractor's doing their job and they're, you know, they're using good materials and there's good quality of work. Because if there's not good quality work, you're never going to get the after repair value you want. And then you could, you could potentially lose money. Yep. Right. So I, I think the point I'm trying to drive is know the bandwidth that you have 
and align that with your aspirations and make sure that those two things are aligned. If you're a, you know, a road warrior and you're on the road from Sunday night to Friday afternoon, living in airports, you don't have time for tenants and toilets, right? But you still need to put your money to work. So there's different vehicles that you need to think about. You know, as you're saying this, <laughs> there is the, I'm satisfied with just making a commission salesperson out there too. And let this be encouragement to you if you're listening, right? Because there is the nine to five, but there's also the five to nine. There is hustle involved, right? So you have to be prepared to hustle a little bit more. And until you get to this place where things are a little bit more in cruise control. And, and I, I wanted to call that out because of the point math that you're making right now. Yeah, you can't just, I, I mean, at least for me. I have a hard time with the hustle switch, turning it on and off, right? It's usually on, especially in the middle of the night. But you got to take care of your five to nine. To me, look, I'm, I'm a sales leader of a big team. It's commission checks on the 30th are great. But what's even better is the rent checks that come the next day. 100%. And then the, and then the property management checks that come on the 15th because they need an extra couple of days to process it, right? Yeah. And most of that stuff, again, once you, once you systematize your business, that's all being taken care of. It's mailbox money at that point. Right. So it's going to take a little work. It's going to take a little effort. I think one of the points you were trying to make, Asher, is surround yourself with like minded people, which is actually not that hard to do. Right. Go find a meetup. Go find a real estate investor association meeting near you. Go find a crypto thing on Facebook. Well, maybe not, you know, maybe not social media because you never know what's going on out there. But yeah. find, find some people that you trust that have a really good experience in what you want to do. And spend time with them, right? Tim Ferriss says it all the time. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yes. If you are passionate about putting money to work, there are other people that are also passionate. Just go follow what they do. Yes. And if all else fails, seriously, if all else fails, just start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You'll literally hang out with a bunch of people. I mean, just start a podcast and like connect with people. And it's amazing what this can. And I've said this multiple times. Like this podcast has been one of the best things I've done professionally in a very long time. But it's because of the community that I've been able to build through this. And so I always encourage people, if you're catching about a topic, to start a podcast and start creating content. And then it'll take a little bit of time. But then this compounds too. Because then people get attracted to your podcast and everybody wants to like join in on the show. And then, you know, by virtue of the conversation, a lot of people learn. To that point, helping people learn. I would also say like spend time with understanding how tax situations can be in your favor. For those of us who work in software companies and want to take the early stage route, understanding how QSBS can impact your tax situations. And again, I'm not giving tax advice. I'm just kind of pointing the articles out. But people should research what QSBS means. How do I like take earnings from one thing and put it in another thing? Like this is like money management, right? Like when people say wealth management or money management, most people just think like, oh yeah, this person, you know, this person will come in and it'll be like shrimp cocktails and stuff like that. But like when you actually get to the nitty gritty of like, well, how do I make sure that I am play by the rules, but I also make sure that I put most amount of my capital to be future invested, then that requires management. It's not just, I pick money from here and put it there. There are rules that you have to follow and work with your tax folks so that you can time things. For those of us who work for super successful startups, right? Like when you sell, how you sell, what happens with that timing, like all of those things also matter. So it's just like, it's just good hygiene 
to stop and like Matt was saying, stop and think about these things. Maybe you follow a quarterly plan, right? Like Matt's, Matt's advocating you follow an annual plan, which I do absolutely too, because looking at these type of things annually makes way more sense. But if you're starting off, you can look at it on a quarterly basis and just take baby steps till you can get to annual plans. But without having a plan, you're probably just going to end up with Gucci belts because that was the best place to park the money. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's I, I, Something you just said brought up a point. Yeah, I think taxes are really... I, you know, I just filed my taxes yesterday and I'm realizing I should have paid more attention to tax advice last year. Good problem to have, but retrospectively, you're kind of like, should have paid attention. Yep. There's, I think there's also some really easy to find knowledge out there about how to leverage resources you already have to do what you really want to do. As an example, right? Folks that are on this, that are listening to this podcast are likely going to change jobs at some point. Probably some, you know, probably several times, right? There's this kind of growing population of folks that move every two, three, four, five years, which means you're going to have seven to eight jobs over the course of your 30 to 40 year career, right? Maybe more. The natural thing to do is, hey, I'm investing into my 401k. And then when I move, I'm just going to roll it over to my new employer because that's what they told me to do. Yep. Right. Instead of going online and realizing there are self-directed IRAs or self-directed yes. 401ks that you can roll that money into. And then you are not limited to the investments that that 401k provider has. You can take that money and invest it into a real estate deal. You can take that money and invest it into a number of you know, different vehicles, right? So, and, but that's not commonly known because the big investment houses that manage the 401ks don't want to tell you that, right? But there are plenty of companies out there that are take, enabling folks to make self-directed decisions with the same tax advantages of an IRA or a 401k that really open up opportunities for people outside of just you know, the 10 or 12 mutual funds or the 10 or 12 index funds that that, that company is, is telling you you can invest in. I, I'm so glad you actually talked about the self-directed IRA. I feel like that is the biggest secret out in wealth management, right? Because like you have a tax-free vehicle that you can use to further yourself, but most people just put their money in target funds and target funds are designed to help the brokerage of the bank make money, you know? And so, because it's like us, right? We're like, hey, let's get to a repeatable sales process and go to scale and we can manage margins. That's what target funds are. So, but if you want to go out and catch a whale and then get that seven-figure deal, like we all try to do in sales, right? Then you got to go to the self-directed IRA and then use the, the vehicle and park the money somewhere where it can actually grow faster. And by the way, there is crypto IRAs now, right? So if folks did not know that, and given that there's crypto ETFs as of today, I feel like this thing is going to completely explode. But with that comes a whole bunch of gains, which with that come a whole bunch of taxes. So please talk to your tax professional. And when wealth managers call you, actually take the call and rather than blowing them off, actually spend time with them to understand what are they saying and what can they do? And then ask them, this is my favorite question whenever a wealth manager calls me. And it doesn't happen all the time. It happens maybe once a year because I kind of get randomly hit by one, right? And then I will say, well, somebody that makes a hundred times more money than I do, what do they do? And just I just sit back and listen to the answer because in there, you're going to find the ways to get to that point. Success leaves clues, right? Yes. I mean, it's, there's, and there's plenty of people out there that will have a really impactful conversation with you. People who are successful 
nothing's ever absolute. A lot of people who are successful love to tell people how they did it and try and put them on the path, yep. right? So reach out, like find the, find the person in your family or in your circle that's got the businesses and the big house and the, and the cars and all that sort of stuff. And they seem really successful or, or someone that just has been in business for a really long time and ask them how they got there, right? That's how I got started in real estate. No way. I was on a fishing trip. I grabbed a six pack of beer. I sat down next to my buddy and I said, hey, how do you do what you do? At the time, he owned like 50 houses in New York. And I said, how'd you do it? And for the next two hours, he told me. And then when we got back from this fishing trip, he put me in touch with his agent. He told me where he bought. And I had my first opportunity a month later, right? And it just, that's just how it starts. How did you do it? What do you do? How did you do it? And how would you do it if you were me? And then just listen. Well, that's fantastic. All right. I know we could probably talk about this forever, but we also want to be respectful to everybody's time, especially yours, for, for giving us your time on this Friday. As we round the podcast out, like is I know you gave us a few books, but is there a book, a blog, a newsletter video, or a website that you'd recommend people as soon as they finish this podcast, they should go list, read, or subscribe to it right away? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch. I would definitely go back to those books. If you haven't read, if you're listening to this, and you're interested in, in growing wealth, go read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go buy that book. If you, if you don't have the $15, like, let me know. I'll get it for you. It's super, super important. I'm a big fan of Bigger Pockets. I'm a big fan of Jake and Gino. I actually really like their story. So Gino used to run an Italian restaurant in New York. Jake was a pharmaceutical sales rep. And now they have you know, nine-figure real estate portfolio eight years later. Very family-oriented, very humble guys. They actually have a quote, which I keep posted up on, on the corner of my monitor. Let your job pay for your apartments and let your apartments pay for your lifestyle, right? Just con the concept of that, if you think, whether it's whatever it is, apartments, crypto, whatever, if you can live like that, you will realize the compound effect. I love Ramit Sethi. Super, you know, I, I follow him all the time. And then if you start, I think if you start there, you'll kind of start to go down the, the, the various wormholes of other content that they recommend and you just start surrounding yourself with it. I've been to a number of Jake and Gino events myself. Just being in a room with 50, 60, 100 like-minded people that are thinking about the same things I am and, and focus on the same things I am and their family and they run a business and they have W-2s. It's just been super motivating to me and, and it's great to just put a question up on our Slack channel and get 15 responses in a few minutes. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you have incredible momentum and a network of people cheering you on. So think about the people that you want to surround yourself with, go find them and, and build yourself a little clan. Super. And we always ask this question because this is how the flywheel of this podcast works, right? Is who would be three other folks in B2B tech, go-to-market or data science that you would recommend we bring onto the show? And I know we didn't talk about B2B go-to-market in this show today, but it would be awesome to get some names from you of people who you respect and admire, who maybe you've worked with that we can bring on and who can share with us. Maybe they will talk about go-to-market. Maybe we talk about stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. So great question. Tim O'Neill, who's the chief revenue officer of Alation, fantastic startup. They do data catalogs. Their company's grown significantly. Tim's in I mean, Tim's an amazing leader, one of my mentors and, and just fantastic human. So I'd say Tim O'Neill. I think uh, Scott Holden, who is the CMO of ThoughtSpot. Scott's been with the company now seven or eight years, I think. And he is 
yep. just a quintessential business leader, very people oriented, very data driven. For a CMO to know as much about the product of ThoughtSpot and leverage ThoughtSpot as much as he does, I think just shows he's got real deep appreciation for sales, marketing, and data. Third, I would say, I think, you know, I'd, I'd probably go and talk to like Ajit Singh, right, who's the co-founder of ThoughtSpot. You know, I think Ajit, A, understands translating customer demand and customer needs into product. Right. But he, I think he also really embraces servant leadership and he calls himself the chief coffee maker. Just a very, very humble guy, very approachable, extremely intelligent, but really understands the building a startup from all aspects and, and gets super hands on. Super. Well, this is a fantastic. I actually am acquainted with Scott, but I don't know him well. But this is going to be a good reason to get him on the show. And, and I've admired his work, you know, and you're right. He's extremely data driven. All right. Before we close this out. If folks want to get in touch with you to get have and they have some questions, they just want some advice. And I have a feeling that this will definitely this podcast will definitely resonate with the audience. What would be the best way for them to connect with you? So you can find me on LinkedIn, Matt Buchalski. That's B-U-C-H-A-L-S-K-I. Hit me, you know, send me a connection request, send me a message. Follow us on LinkedIn with RealPage. My my real estate business is also Take Flight Properties, T-A-K-E-F-L-Y-T-E. Follow our journey there. The vast majority of the folks that invest in our deals are tech sales and tech professionals. So that we have we have enormous synergy there. I'll also put my phone number out there. Call me 347-559-2771. Call me, text me. Be happy to set up time and talk to you about what we're doing. Understand what, where you're at and connect with anybody in my network that can help you and put you on the path wherever you want to go. Perfect. Well, Matt, this has been a blast. I knew this would be a fun podcast to do, but it was super informative too because I picked up a few things and I'm sure by the virtue of this discussion, quite a few other people have picked up a few things. And I know the most of the stuff that we talked about is applicable to the North American market or the where we live, right? But I'm sure the listeners who are listening is going to listen to this in Latin America or APAC or, or Southeast Asia. There are things that you can do there too. You just have to follow the same principles and get connected with individuals who can get you through this. But once again, thank you so much for spending time with us and best of luck in your journey. Thank you very much, Asher. This has been a real treat. Thank you for having me on the show. Good luck, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV. 